Right now, we're about to double down on some COVID misinformation. If YouTube, for one second, thinks that they're going to keep me from running my mouth, being the anti-defamation podcast, and actually bringing true news and facts to people, they are wrong. I mean, sure, they can keep me from their platform. Maybe they can write letters to the other platforms and tell them that it's irresponsible to let people like me just spew information, read the news, and actually report facts, but... Let me tell you, I'm not I'm not going to be, I'm not, we're doubling down. That's what we're doing this week. I had an email from a fan of this podcast, told me that he is in uh, school. He's getting a doctorate. I think it was molecular biology or I don't know, some fancy science thing that I can't understand. You know, you got to f- track him down. He's the scientist guy. I'm just the guy that asked him questions and he brought us all of the COVID misinformation. Everything that the news isn't telling you down to these vaccines, making your dicks fall off, drying up women's pussies, just doing everything to eradicate society. That's what they want. They don't want us procreating. They want a kid-free world where only the billionaires have working penises and only their wives have, you know, juicy vaginas. The rest of us are just stuck with dry cotton mouth all the time. It's going to be a dystopia, but not if I can continue to get on the airwaves. I wish that these were actual airwaves. I wish that this was back in, like, FM radio and someone could just be driving their truck and be... What the fuck did I just happen upon? But we're not that lucky. People have to actually find this content, which I got to do a better job of uh, getting it out there, but we will. So anyways, second half of this episode, I had an actual scientist on, well, or uh, an almost scientist. I don't know who really falls into the category of scientist because, you know, Fauci, he's just a doctor, but, you know, he gets to say, listen to the scientists. Are doctors considered scientists? Maybe we'll do another episode on that, figure out who should be able to have this scientist label. Anyways, Whole second half of this episode, a lot of information about vaccines, how vaccines work, how your body works, uh, how the news is lying to you, why you shouldn't touch these mRNAs. Um, To be honest, if you've already gotten the mRNA vaccine, both this episode and the episode with Sam Parker, you probably just want to skip it. At the end of the day, this shit's all in your mind, you know, mind over matter. Uh, And if you've already been one of these people that went and got the vaccines. Just don't listen to these two episodes. Do yourself the favor. Uh, eat yourself extra sandwiches. Jerk off a lot. Just keep your stress levels down. Because at this point, that's the best you can do. You've already you're pot committed, so you might as well just play the thing through. Skip these two episodes. Just come back next week. I'm going to be done talking about vaccines. It's enough. I can only. I can only present so much misinformation. I can only sit down, do my research, and then convert all the facts into misinformation for you people so much. That takes a lot of homework, and to be honest, we just explored the fuck out of these two topics within these two episodes, so I'm going to move on. So listen, if you've already been vaccinated, just skip this episode. You're pot committed. Just play it out. If you haven't, uh, this is your chance to find out why you want to stick away from the MRNAs. Maybe someone can get me like a young man type song, like don't do MRNAs. I'll have to work on that. It's on the fly. Hadn't thought about it before. And the Shedcast guys, they're rappers. Maybe they can help us with that. Before I get into my introduction, I mean, we're already into the introduction, but before I get into some of the random topics that I wanted to talk about before I switch over to the news thing, you've listened to the show before. You understand how it flows. I want to tell you about a project I just put out right now as you're sitting at your computer. Go to theblackcaptain.com. Once again, that's theblackcaptain.com. Um, it, it is a scripted, uh, like, it, it's basically like listening to an audio movie. It took me two years to put this thing together. Me and my friend Menu and Heart, who you might remember from Rob's newsroom, uh, we did a lot of work on this thing. It is... It's like my version of if I had a Hollywood budget tomorrow and I could do a Spaceballs of 
like the Avengers series. It's kind of an Avengers spoof. Uh, if you're a fan of my style, oh, listen, I promise you the thing is funny. It took a shit ton of work. It took us too much work to just put out for free. Um, there will be an ending to the series. We put out part one and two. It's like three hours of content. It's like listening to two full movies. My friend's an unbelievable musician. He voices me. He's got like Eddie Murphy skill. He's playing like 40 different characters in this thing. You wouldn't know that it was the same person unless I just told you that. I play a guy who's got problems with his assholes. Very true to my life. I'm not as talented as he is. I'm more of a method actor. Actually, all the complaints you've heard from me over the last couple of years was just because I was trying to get into the part of this character. And uh, now that I'm finally done with this series, I can start eating healthy, losing weight, and never having intestinal issues again. Uh, so that's the commitment that I put into this. For two full years, I was overeating and being miserable so that I could be a good character actor and actually play off, play out the, the you know the part that I had in this show. No, seriously, just go to theblackcaptain.com. Uh, you can get you know three hours of, uh, of of the first two seasons, twenty bucks. I don't ask you for your hard-earned money all that often, but in this case. Go buy yourself three subscriptions. Four, it's not a subscription. You just, you, you buy it, you can get yourself some t-shirts um, and support the project. Theblackcaptain.com. This whole month, I think we're going to be taking off from sponsors just so I can say theblackcaptain.com into your ears as many times as it will take for you to go support the project. Theblackcaptain.com. Go support the project. Okay, now let's get into some non-news topics and then we'll get into the news topic. We'll get into the COVID misinformation that I've been telling you I'm going to inform you about. Uh, I love my Subaru. I don't know if any of you guys have Subarus. Uh, the, um, I'm actually up uh, in Maine for a couple days. I got to hit some back roads. That's where the Subaru is the most fun. Is on like forest, dirt roads, where you kind of have to like stop just before the turn, and then you get to speed into the turn. Uh, like If you're on a road that's supposed to be like 40, and it's backwoods, sharp turns, you're going 60, that's where the Subaru is a lot of fun. It does, however, come with the world's worst cup holder. It might, it's like they've built the thing for spilling beverages on yourself. The other day I was driving up here, I had literally eight hour ride in the car and I, I'm, every beverage I put in, like I always convince myself, like, I don't know, I, I don't, like this is just how much of a dumbass I am. I've had 40 drinks spill on myself and I convince myself every time, well, this time I'll be more aware of it. It's like, tomorrow I'm going to be healthy. It's like, this time I'm going to be aware of that beverage. It's not, dude, I spilled coffee all over my asshole. I'm telling you, I hit a turn and just boom, entire, entire pot. It wasn't a pot. It was an entire cup of hot coffee just all over my jeans. Just had to sit in that. I felt like a kid who pissed his pants at the party. Don't pretend like you didn't do that at birthday parties. You're listening to the show. We get along for a reason. And I'm sure it's because you were also the kid that pissed his pants at the party and just you're sitting in that warm thing. You get a ride home, but you just put down a garbage bag. Maybe that happens to you. Maybe that maybe that's too specific. I don't know. Like Subaru people, if you're out there, you're listening to this. I enjoy your cars. I enjoy, I, I don't know nice cars. Maybe the nice cars out there are way more fun to drive, and I've only driven shitty cars, and among shitty cars, the Subaru has a fun feel to it. But your cup holders, I, you might as well just pull them out of the car so I don't think that there's something I can rely upon that's spilling fucking hot water all over my asshole. Um, here's another thing I'd like to address. Uh, I, you know, I've never been a person who, uh, like, buys nice clothes. <laughs> <laughs> sunglasses. I wear I wear sunglasses. I like sunglasses. I don't think I need to uh, vouch for sunglasses. I think you guys probably wear them also. I don't do it as a cool thing. It's more of a functional thing. I got baby blue eyes. They fry in the sun. Need myself some sunglasses, especially if I'm in the car. 
I never buy nice sunglasses because I lose sunglasses all the time. And I had some people telling me like, dude, if you actually had a nice pair of sunglasses, you would take care of it. It's just you would rise to the occasion. Friend of mine recently left uh, Ray-Bans in the car. And then he's like, you can just keep them. I lost, Within a week, they're gone. I, the, the car right up here. I don't even know where I lost them. Maybe when that thing, uh, when that coffee spilt all over my asshole and I had to get out of the car at some point and try and make an adjustment, uh, I, I lost them. I, I don't know, literally one week. One week. Is anyone else out there just a total child? You try and one week. You're, I was even like, dude, maybe this is my new thing. Maybe I'm going to try out these Ray-Bans. Maybe this, you know, trying to pretend like you're rich and wearing designer shit actually works. Maybe that little logo on the top, on the, on the side of my bald face is going to bring in some of that sweet, undried uh, COVID vaccine pussy. Who knows? It could happen one week, literally one week and they're gone. I mean, maybe I'll find them underneath one of the car seats and then I'll have to retract this. I like keeping the podcast truthful. If I have to make a retraction about what happens to these Ray-Ban sunglasses, I'm prepared to do that. I'm not going to continue to lie to you and pretend like I lost something that I didn't actually lose. If they're gone, I will come back on here and I'll let you know. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that they're that they're gone and I'm amazed. 33 years old, one week with nice sunglasses, gone forever. I hope he doesn't ask for them back. Here's another thing I'd like to address. Um, I think we need to change the way that, you know, like bakeries operate. Uh, and, you know, I'm pro-bakery. I'm not coming here, except I'm going to be cutting back on the sweets. But, and it's because of this incident. So I'm driving in my car, me and my friend, we stopped somewhere for, uh, for lunch. And I gotta be honest, it was a bad lunch. Five hours I spent in the car. My friend, he picked a spot in uh, Portland. I wanted to go to a brewery, uh, the Shipyard Brewery. I like if you're in a town and there's a beer that you actually have had in the past, you know that you like that beer, and now you can go to the brewery, get it straight from the tap. I haven't had Shipyard in a while, but I remembered it to be a good beer. When I saw that they were in Portland, I was like, that would be fun. We could stop at that brewery. He sends me a panicked message going, they don't have lunch. We're going to go to this other bar. Don't worry, they got plenty of shit on tap. I showed up. It had a real authentic look to it. It looked like it was going to be good. And then the burger sucked. It just sucked. And, you know, five hours in the car to stop for a burger, and then you're going to spend another three hours in the car. I'm very upset about lunch, and I need some cake to, to suit to smooth over my mood after driving five hours, you know, being hungry and having bad lunch, I felt like I needed to top it off with something delicious. So I wasn't just hitting the open road with the taste of uh, a bad meal in my, in, in my mouth, but I'm up in Maine. I don't know where I can find a good bakery and I don't want any of that. Like I'm, I'm craving good cake. I don't want to stop at a gas station for any of those uh, shitty package cakes. I'm not going to do that. Although I will say I stopped in at two gas stations hoping that they would have like that little fresh bakery, um, you know, pastry cake. But I'm, I'm, I'm being, I'm shorting gas stations from now on after the last week's sandwich incident. And after my new incident of seeing no good cake products on the road, I'm a little bit down on gas station. I mean, sure, they're still great for beverages, but I think, uh, I don't know, I guess I've been a little bit too uh, taken in by 7-Elevens, by the gas stations that have it right, but there's way too many out there, specifically in the Northeast, that just don't have their shit together. Maybe I'll get into the gas station. I'd love to become a gas station consultant, tell these people how to get some better snacks on their shelf. Maybe it's an inventory problem, I don't know. And who am I kidding? I'm not organized. There's no way I would be able to help these people out. But back to the bakery issue. So I'm driving, and then finally I see a sign that says like, bakery right off the high. I was like, okay. I mean, that's a sign from God. I'm talking, I'm, I got the, the thirst for cookies in my mouth. There's a sign right there. We're going to go stop for these cookies. I pull in and already I could tell this is the wrong place to be trying to get cookies. It's more of like a diner, 
But I was like, dude, you know, positive mental attitude. I've worked sales jobs. Maybe uh, this will be a quick transaction. All right, so here's my first complaint with, why are there always hot chicks at bakeries? You know, you're, you're, you're investing in shame right now. You're just trying to get some cookies so you can get back on the road. The last thing you want to do in these moments is interact with some hot chick. This is the wrong place for it. You want to see hot chicks at the gym where you can pretend like you're in shape. You know, uh, you roll up your sleeves. You, you, you show off your muscles. You keep your stomach, you know, enclosed so that nobody can see it. Like, you, you, when, when you're engaging with hot chicks, like, you want to be in situations where you can try and pretend like you're a cool person or whatever, but the last thing you want is the lady, and then here's what always happens. Here's where I think they figured out the psychology of it. I always pretend then, like, I'm not just picking up a cookie for myself, and then I'd be like, well, you know, I, hey, I'm going to a party, so, hey, what do you recommend for, you know, the four people I'm going to get this for? Oh, me? Yeah, I just wanted a cup of coffee, which, by the way, that is what spilt on my asshole. If you put that together, that's what ended up all over my butt, so, and I didn't even want the coffee. I got the coffee just to pretend like I wasn't there for cookies, because I'm a healthy guy. I might not look healthy. I'm just here for the coffee, and I'm going to get cookies because I'm going to, yeah, visit people, and they need the cookie. And then what ends up happening is you spend more money than you want, you end up with coffee all over your, all over your butthole and then you end up eating four cookies on your car ride because you're not going to not eat this is what I did I don't know if you pulled this like I ate the first one it wasn't that good so now I had to eat the second one and it was a good thing I bought the second one because the second one hit the spot the first one on paper it looked like it was going to be good it was like a raspberry filled sugar cookie I don't know how you fucked that up but this place in Maine they did they fucked up the raspberry filled sugar cookie there was nothing delicious about this thing whatsoever but then I had a it was it was like unbaked they called it not baked and it was like chocolate and peanut butter with something uh like something crispy in there it was almost like uh little debbie has a similar snack but it tastes like garbage but they have a, I forgot what they call it, the peanut nut, I don't know what they call it, but this was like a fresh version of that, and it was delicious, but then I was like, okay, I can't be eating anything more than this, so I put the other ones in the back seat, and then you can bet your, you know, um, filthy coffee-ridden asshole that at some point, you know, in the car ride, you're reaching back, and then you're like, man, I shouldn't have bought all these cookies, but you, what are you going to do when the hot chick's there? You're just going to buy one and admit to being a total fat fuck? So either they got to get rid of hot chicks from bakeries, or... You know, I'm a sales guy, so I respect it. Maybe they figured out that it shames people into buying more to pretend like they're not just there buying things for themselves. So I'm up in uh, Maine for a couple days. I realized I work remotely. Friend hit me up that uh, his in-laws basically have this wealthy vacation house, uh, and he's going up there to build a dock for them. And so he's like, you know, you can uh, come help me build the dock, and you can enjoy a week in the fancy vacation house. I want to somehow spread the word to, to kids out there like, you want to be the drug addict amongst your friends that might be successful. Because I'm starting to get to a point in my life, like, one of my friends, they just bought a boat. I'm never going to own a boat. It's not going to happen. But now, you know, on Sundays, it's good to have a friend with the boat. You drive up there. I get on his boat. It's his problem. It's his cost. It's his expense. And I just do what I'm good at, which is bring beers and be a guy who drinks beers. That's what I practice in my life. And I don't have to work the jobs. I don't have to make the money, but I still get the invite because I'm pretty good at just hanging out and drinking beers. And people like having me on their boats. They like having me in their vacation homes. So I just want to put it out there for the high school kids who are thinking about who they want to be when they're older. They're thinking about the stuff that they want to have and working hard. Don't work hard. It's not for you. If you're already thinking about whether or not you do or don't want to work hard, it's probably just not for you. So don't work hard. 20 to 30, it's not going to be that interesting. 
You're just going to have to stay the course with your drinking and not accomplishing anything. But then come 30, some of the kids that you were friends with, they'll actually become successful. And if you just kept in touch with them, they'll start having fun shit. And as long as you haven't taken your alcoholism too far to the point where it's not fun, you can start getting an invite to their places. So I'm just trying to explore the strategy and maybe pass it on to the next generation of how you can not work hard, but still um, enjoy the occasional perks of a wealthier lifestyle. Uh, and I don't have all the details on this worked out. This is my first day up in this uh, nice place thinking like, Jesus, actually having nice things is pretty nice. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working on a new strategy for how slackers can get access to things that they can never afford. And one of them is just stay the course on, you know, keeping in touch with your friends, like invest early when you're in high school. Maybe even though you're in like the party drug, try and become friends with some of the nerds. Like they're okay. You know, like in high school, I feel like this is something that changes once you get out of high school. And I, I didn't even have this so much. Maybe I'm more talking of high school movies because I, you know, I went to small little Jewish school. So, you know, we all, we all got along. It wasn't, it wasn't like you're 400 people high school, but I think later in life you become less concerned about looking cool to people. And so you're more open to interacting with anybody. And then you find out that some of the people that weren't necessarily perceived as cool or actually the funnest to hang out with. Maybe I just sound like a fucking serial killer with what I'm describing. I'm just trying to pass on to the next generation how you can enjoy um, a good life without having to work hard yourself or earn money. And so what I'm trying to tell you is like when you're those kids that aren't cool, that seem to be smart, make them your friends. And then you also got a designated driver. Like when you're hanging out with other people that drink and, you know, do that kind of shit. I love that to me, even as a 33 year old, the kids that drink in high school is still who I think is cool. (laughs) All right. Last topic. And then we're going to move into COVID misinformation. So I'm out here. My friends got this, uh, this, uh, you know, in-laws that are rich with the nice lake house. So I'm out here all week helping him build a dock. Let me tell you, manual labor is fun for a day. You just feel like you're in the gym. You're like, why am I living this white collar lifestyle of trying to plug sales? I, I could be a blue collar dude. You can be, have you ever like, when you unload a truck every once in a while, it feels like the best thing where you're like, why do I go to the gym? I could just be a dude who unloads trucks all day. I love unloading trucks, but I think it's fun when you do it like every once in a while. If that's actually your life, you got to wake up at eight in the morning and, you know, it's like the fifth day in a row of unloading a truck. Uh, that's when you don't like it. But when you can do it once, maybe that's maybe that would be a good job for blue-collar guys. Maybe we could do this. Hey, guys, if you're out there, you're one of these tech people, maybe we can create, like, an Uber for manual labor jobs where you can outsource your job to, like, schmucks like me who want to get a workout in, <laughs> and you just plug it as, like, a super authentic workout experience of unloading a truck or I, I, I don't I don't know what are other like moving jobs you just show up for an hour you, you get to carry tables it's the coordination between you and the other person it's like a team building activity but it's also it's functional muscles because you're moving things and it's the core strength and it's the balancing while lifting it's not like when you're just doing squats it's the same repetitive motion over and over and you don't have to engage your brain at the same time trying to fit things through tight quarters up and down stairs getting it into elevators, pallets, or how often, you know, the the hand strength that comes from today when I was using like a crowbar, uh, maybe that would be a a good scheme. It's, you know, blue collar guys that just outsource their jobs uh, to people who are into fitness and work office jobs so that they can have a more functional experience. And then like, 
you know, you get 10 finance guys in a day that want to do one hour of whatever your blue collar job is, and then you don't have to work. That's not bad. Write that down, people. If you're in the uh, Uber tech business and you want to help me create this business model where people, blue collar guys, outsource, you know, their jobs for single hours to white collar people, and then they just like maybe stand there and berate them so it feels like a more experience, uh, a more authentic experience. I feel like I'm onto something. Anyways, I'm out here. He's got the the nice, beautiful lakes. I was standing around without my shirt on. I almost never take my shirt off. I think that's how we. I think that's how we fix society. Because, like, if you're a beach person, you're always going to the beach, that means you always got to confront you not wearing a shirt. You're going to lose weight. At the end of the day, when, like, when you're going to go and stop on a highway and consider whether or not you're going to eat four cookies, you're thinking about the fact, hey, tomorrow I have to have my shirt off. I'm at the beach. I don't want to be the sloppy guy. Maybe that's what we should do. Maybe we should just change society where it's shirt off all the time. I mean, most people, they're collecting unemployment checks and we got to pay for their health insurance. So we need something within society, like force people to do like if dude, if you're unemployed and you're getting uh like free, I mean, the least you can do is have a nice body so that the people that are working, maybe they can have sex with you like that will be your contribution. All right. I'm fucking going to nonsense land right now. Everybody go to blackcaptain.com. Support it. Blackcaptain.com. Go purchase it. You can get yourself some t-shirts. You can get yourself some posters. I'm not sure that you want to just buy the cap that just says Black Captain. If you're white, that's a decision for you. I don't know where you live or how people are going to take that. But everything else is super cool. The artwork's super cool. We got some great artists on it. I promise you, you're going you're gonna to enjoy it. I think it's a very fun listen. We worked really hard on it. The music my friend put together is incredible. And it's got like a sound effects package. I, I swear to you, it's like it's an immersive thing where you feel like... It's like an audio experience, but it's a full movie. It's two full movies. We sat down, we sat with Final Draft, we wrote two full movies, we casted good comics in it. So go support it, theblackcaptain.com. And now you got a whole, I think half hour, maybe it's an hour of COVID misinformation. Enjoy. Got an actual doctor on the show in some sort of super biology. Uh, so let's introduce him and, you know, he can actually tell us what the hell he does and how he knows things. But uh, Mr. Dr. Bauer, thank you for joining us. Yeah, my name is Dr. Bauer. Um, I work in uh, bio, in the biotech industry, studying blood essentially, um, which overlaps a lot with immunology and vaccine development and things like that. Um, and uh, yeah, so I live out here uh, in Switzerland and love the show. I don't know. Beautiful. And you said just so that people get the uh, full understanding of your technical expertise here. You're two months from uh, your, your doctorate, but we're going to call you doctor anyways. Uh, yeah. And you actually do have knowledge in this field, unlike myself, when I'm just, you know, reading the newspaper and yelling about random bullshit I think makes sense to me. Um, you actually do have some expertise here. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So one of the first things that you hit me up about uh, is that in your opinion, or from what you're seeing of these vaccines... They're being purposely designed in a way where you would have to get one every six months. They could design these so that they actually worked and that you could be one and done. And then we can get into some of the health risks of taking a vaccine that would work. But let's just start with the starting point of that. In your opinion, these are purposely being designed for profit and in a way where you would have to get them um, at least once a year, if not more often than that. So I'll hand it over to you to explain to us what about the vaccines or do you, are you looking at to go, these are purposely designed for profit and not for, you know, basically utility and just taking something and being done with this? All right. So essentially I have to start off by explaining a little bit about immunology and about immunizations and how immunity works. Um, 
and in particular, I want to talk about a concept called cross immunity. And cross immunity is essentially what happens when you get exposed to one virus that is kind of like the virus you are, are afraid of, uh, and you gain immunity to that one. If they have any sort of proteins or other structures in common that your immune system can learn to recognize, then when it learns to recognize the, the virus that you're not really afraid of, it simultaneously learns to recognize and fight the virus you are afraid of. So the first vaccine, for example, was against smallpox. And the way that vaccine worked is they rubbed a bunch of cow pus from cowpox pustules uh, into cuts or something. I don't know, they injected them. It was a long time ago. I don't know. Um, and because the cowpox vaccine had some proteins in common with the smallpox vaccine, the body learned to fight cowpox and simultaneously learned to fight smallpox. And the reason that works is because you have a lot of proteins. These things have a lot of proteins in common. They have a lot of structures in common that the body can learn to recognize. Um, so with the, the MR, with the COVID mRNA vaccine, um, the way it's structured is you, they take a single protein, this S spike protein that's used for, uh, docking with a specific enzyme. Um, and they force your, they use mRNA to force your cells to produce it. So you get one protein, you get your body then learns to recognize that protein as being viral and fight it, but you're only getting one protein as opposed to if you're exposed to COVID itself or an inert version of COVID, the body will learn to fight, the body will learn to fight that protein, the S protein, and many others on the surface of this virus, right? <clears throat> so the reason that that, that I, I actually think that that is, uh, is going to uh, result in uh, shorter lasting immunity is essentially that viruses mutate all the time. Um, and viruses, yeah, so viruses mutate all the time. That's where you hear about all these variants and things. And what people mean when they say that there's a mutation and a variant is that a protein has been modified or by, through mutation, a single protein has been changed. Um, but usually the other proteins are intact. So with the mRNA uh, vaccine, your body is going to learn to attack just the spike protein, right? Whereas if you have natural COVID immunity, your body will have learned to attack like 10, 20, 15 other proteins associated with this virus. Since there's a kind of constant mutation rate, more or less, well, it doesn't take as long for, okay, let me restart that. The mutation rate of these viruses is Fast, but it's fast relative to other things, but it's not so fast that you're going to get a complete turnaround and a complete replacement of all the proteins on its surface in a year, for example. But one pro a mutation in a single protein like the S protein could very easily happen. In fact, we already know that it's happened in several places. Um, and since your body only knows how to fight that one protein, it yeah, it's only going to know how to fight that one variant. Whereas if you're exposed naturally and you, your body learns to fight all of the proteins on this thing, it's, you're going to have, you're going to have protection against the other variants. I don't right. know if I said that. No, 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 a lot of information there. So let's just break a little bit of it down. Yeah. So the MRNA is a new style of vaccine from what I understand, yeah. maybe they've been studying it for six or seven years, but uh, from what I understand, this is the first release of this technology. So first, is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, it's the first release of the technology as a vaccine. Uh, actually, the the methodology they're using is essentially the same as the 
what we use in our lab to put RNA or DNA inside cells. We've been doing it for like 20 years. So, but is it almost uh, like a selling, a, a sales tactic to even call yeah. this a vaccine? Yep. Because it's not. A traditional vaccine is you're exposed to the actual virus in a different forms so that you know how to um, fight off the, you know, the more serious version of it. This yeah. is actually something different where they're calling it a vaccine because we already take vaccines. So it's like, it doesn't sound like you're dealing with a new technology. Yeah, um, I mean, but the reality is it's not, it's not really a vaccine. Yeah, they're supposed to have the same effect, but the structure is different. The implementation is different. The production is different. It's, it's, a, it's a new technology. The effect is supposed to be the same, and it makes sense that it should be kind of – it should be close, but it's – yeah, it's a different thing. Okay, so dumb question. Yeah. I think at one point, and uh, this is something that to me is yet to be clear. In your opinion, let's start with this question. An asymptomatic person, can they spread COVID vac- the COVID? Not, I mean, yeah, they could in the same way that a person that's immune that kisses someone with COVID could give it to you by kissing you. Like, you know, if, you're, if it's on your hands or something, yes, but you're not going to spread it in the same way that you are if you're, cough, if you're hacking up a lung on the, in a taxi. Okay. So at one point I read that I guess the extent by which you were going to have symptoms was also relative to just how much viral load you were exposed to. Uh, and that there is this factor of shed rate. So if someone's like super sick, they're sneezing and they're coughing, mm-hmm. they're actually creating a lot of virus. And then I guess your symptoms and your body's ability to fight the virus is also relative to, you know, if you're next to the guy who's sneezing and he gives you a big ass viral load, you might be super sick versus um, if it's an asymptomatic person, I shake their hand, put it in my mouth. I guess I, I might get COVID, but I won't necessarily have as many symptoms. Is that at all accurate? That's pretty much accurate. I mean, okay, so I've been in science for too long. Uh, when I say yes, an asymptomatic person can spread it, I mean, essentially no, uh, but they kind of train us to stop to, to say essentially no when we mean, yeah. Anyways, um, no, there's, there's very well, why little- don't you, Why don't you speak to me on- any sort of symptoms from, from touching something or like- or give someone symptoms because you touched a doorknob and then touched their doorknob. Like the chances are very low. So what are the chance? Like, let's just t- talk in percentage terms. I mean, how, what percentage of people, th- there's a number to it. Is it one in 100 will oh, interact no. with a m- asymptomatic person and become sick? Is it one in a million? There's a number there. I mean, it's It's, it's going to be way lower than one in a hundred. Uh, yeah, one in thousands, ten thousands. It would be difficult to difficult to measure. Okay, but so before before I even before I even move into this next question, and this is my yeah. scattered ADD brain, but I was watching Fauci today trying to uh, take on what Rogan had said about giving the uh, um, vaccines to to children. Um, and the argument against Rogan has been first people just going, "Well, you're not a doctor." But then they don't actually address his claims. They just say, hey, you're not a doctor. Then Fauci came on to actually address his claims. And what he said is, um, it's not just about you. It's about the fact that even if you're a child and you don't have symptoms, you can still spread the virus to another person. Now, first, he's not addressing the fact that once we make the vaccines readily available, if you actually believe that the vaccines work, so then anyone who is actually concerned with you know, COVID can either stay home or they can take the vaccine. So I don't, I don't buy his logic that we need to have everybody take this thing because they might spread to someone else. But in your opinion, when Fauci says, hey, a child that's asymptomatic might still go out there and spread 
you know, virus to other people, that statement is mostly false. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely mostly false. And it's worth noting that it's really it would be really easy to test that. Right. That's a really easy study to run. You have kids in, in schools that are are getting it. It's really actually quite easy to study infection rates at schools, for example. Um, and the fact that there have been no studies showing up saying that this is happening, that I mean, that's the first indicator that like, no, it's absolutely not happening. OK, so now this is just once again, me being uh, probably a dumbass, but if and this might just be loose dummy affiliations. But if we say that the shed rate that you're exposed to will also directly correlate to how sick you get, why don't they just create fucking nostril things and give you the smallest possible viral load. Like, I don't understand why this isn't just as simple as a typical vaccine, where if I know that exposure to limit li little shed rate also means little symptoms, so why not purposely expose yourself to someone who's nearly asymptomatic or very low? Like, can't you, can't you scientifically reproduce um, exposure to, like, a low viral load at the rate at which you can predict that, you know, like based on your health level, you could beat it and then you would just be immune from there on? That's, that's not exactly how it works, but your point that there are for sure that uh, diminished versions of the virus could be produced very easily. In fact, there's, oh, there's a, a bunch of them in the pipelines. Uh, that's, that's what a vaccine is, right? That point is absolutely right. Like we don't have to do this mRNA crap. Okay, so fact, there's good reason to believe the mRNA crap is going to be significantly less effective in the long run. Okay, so before we get into, um, you're saying one an additional problem to the mRNA crap is that it really is only preparing your body to fend off single proteins. Uh, in your opinion, could this be designed in a way where I guess it was giving you exposure to more proteins that you would then be fully prepared to, you know, I guess at least battle COVID for a longer time? Like, is there, is there a more efficient way for them to deliver this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, that's what a normal vaccine is, right? So the fact that they, they didn't have to switch to this mRNA format, they would have gotten more, let's say, div, a more diverse response profile or, or you're a, a more diverse set of targets that your body would respond to by just giving you a normal COVID vaccine. And the... Coronavirus is part of a family of viruses that we have vaccines for. Like we know how to produce vaccines against members of the coronavirus family. There's not really any good reason I can think of, aside from the fact that it's cheaper to produce the, the mRNA version. Right? So, so I, I mean, that's, that's a wild claim that in other words, they're actually sitting on traditional vaccines that would work. They're more expensive. So they're pushing this other technology. Well, I mean, they're not that much more expensive, but the important thing is that it's not really even a claim. You can go online and see, see uh, companies that are produced, that are, have the normal vaccine, normal COVID, normal version of the COVID vaccine uh, in their pipeline in development, like right now. And are they just not getting the emergency authorization because they're not like the big companies like your Pfizer and Moderna's? I don't know. Okay. Um, so now go, going back to the mRNA, mm -hmm. uh, in your opinion, do you think that there's any dangers or um, because it is a new technology, that's what people are afraid of. 
They're saying, hey, this is a new technology. I don't trust Big Pharma. I don't trust Fauci. This got pushed through really quickly. I'd rather sit on the sidelines, let other people take it, and we'll see if some side effects are are, are in the works. Um, do you think uh, that the mRNA puts people at risk for some sort of like side effects that we haven't seen yet? mRNA and well, all right. So there's two ways to look at this. There's there's the, um, the the more reasonable way to look at it is that if the structure of the mRNA is exactly what they're telling us and has you know has been confirmed, then the there are some dangers that I could uh, that you could foresee. Um, the danger in particular that's worth considering is that the the protein that this mRNA produces uh, is what the virus uses to stick to your cells. Right, so that it doesn't just float away when they bump into each other, um, or to anchor itself to your cells. Now, that doesn't sound particularly dangerous, except when you, if you're forcing your cells to produce a bunch of that protein and it's sticking out, you now have a cell that doesn't stick to other cells, that has gained the, is, has been forced to gain the ability to stick to other cells. That, again, doesn't sound particularly bad until you realize that what you're describing is like essentially the perfect way to produce like clusters, aggregates of cells, and eventually blood clots. That's probably the first thing to worry about. Uh, that would it, just my professional opinion. If I were designing a study to test the safety of these things, that's what I would check first. Um, they didn't have to pick that particular protein to to do this. So I, I don't know. I mean, that's okay. So then one question for you. So the, a, the AstraZeneca um, was the first one that they were like recognizing blood clot issues with Pfizer Moderna thus far. I don't believe there's been reports of blood clots and Johnson and Johnson, which actually is from what I understand, not an MRNA has also been having the blood clot issues. Um, so I, I, I guess, why is it that the AstraZeneca would be having more of an issue than the Pfizer and Moderna? Depends on the structure of the vaccine. Uh, it depends also on the vector that they use. So if you're forcing cells that are sort of stationary uh, in your body that don't float around to stick to other cells, it's really not so bad. Whereas if you're forcing cells that are in your bloodstream all the time to um, to stick to other cells, then that that could potentially that that would be a difference. Um, so it really just depends on and and that would be determined by which vector they use to deliver the mRNA. Okay, so other than blood clots, which we've already seen with AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson, still, you know, just not to create too much panic. I mean, they are they are on a limited basis. Um, do you think that there's other potential side effects that we haven't seen yet that you could forecast are a possibility because of this new technology? Well, okay, um, so yes, this would be more speculative though. Um, the first thing, the, the next thing that I'd be worried about after blood clots, uh, with this vaccine is the fact that with a normal vaccine, you give the body something other than itself to learn, to respond to, right? Uh, so the, it attacks the viral particle, the, the inert viral particle, and it just learns to target that you just gain immunity to that. What they're doing with this mRNA vaccine is that they're actually forcing the cells that receive the mRNA to present a viral profile, to, to, 
to show themselves to the body in a way that the body, the immune system will think of them as a, as a, as a virus, as infected. And my concern with that, and maybe this is much more speculative, but my concern with that would be that when you force immune cells to kill like your body cells and learn to recognize some components of them as, as dangerous, that they might then learn to recognize other components of them as dangerous. What I'm describing there is essentially the, the forced production or a higher rate, let's say, of autoimmune disorders. Um, now that, that's very speculative. Uh, there's, there's re- the body has kind of redundancies in place to prevent that sort of thing from happening because, I mean, that's essentially, that, that's what viruses very frequently do anyways. But it makes me, it, personally, it would make me nervous to, to yeah, it would, it would make me nervous to set up a situation where the, where, where the immune system is for, being forced to recognize components of the body as potentially dangerous in a way that it doesn't normally do. Okay, so last question on, uh, well, actually, last question on, on these mRNAs, which let's say the Pfizer, Moderna, because those are the main ones being in the U.S. You're working in this field. Obviously, you're pro-science, you're pro-technology. Um, your personal advice, would you look at these and say, hey, I think maybe you should wait because there could be some you know, bad side effects coming down the road? Or are we just really talking about really small chances here and we're kind of talking about you know, extreme bad circumstances that are unlikely. And, you know, in some sense, we're almost being anti-science by being focused on, you know, tiny, you know, tiny unforeseen consequences that are unlikely. I mean, science is basically driven by critique of itself, right? That's the whole purpose. That's, that's the whole point. Um, nothing that any scientist says, says should be taken just on its face, like show me the data. Um, and that goes anyone can say that without being anti-science in my opinion. Um, but my, my feeling on this after reading, reading, uh, about it and looking at the numbers is that like Rogan got it exactly right in the podcast. Like, I don't know if you're healthy, there's, if, if you, if you don't have comorbidities, if you're not in a risk group, the natural immunity is going to be way better, uh, in this case. And that's not like, that's not a crazy anti-vax thing. That's, we know natural immunity is better in these cases. We've studied it. This concept has been around for decades, um, in a, in a very quantitative way and in a qualitative way for like centuries. Uh, like we know natural immunity is better than what you get from this sort of, um, from this sort of process. Um, so if you're not in a risk group, get it, don't get it. I don't care. If you're in a risk group, consider it more strongly. All right. When you say, when when you talk about natural immunity, because I read this, which I thought was a fascinating anti-vax argument, but the source that I write it from was very iffy. So like I wasn't a hundred percent on it, but they were breaking down the math of like when the Pfizer vaccine tells you that it will, you know, boost your immunity to 95%. The part that they're not telling you is that your natural immunity is like at 80% in certain age brackets. So really you're talking about a 15% boost to your immunity. And if you start weighing that against the risk of potentially, you know, consequences down the line, that's a lot different. Like in other words, you're not going from zero to 95. They're telling you your natural immunity plus the boost from their shot. 
right? So like an AstraZeneca, for example, which, you know, has been causing more blood clots and I think is like at a 70%. So, you know, that's going to do little for you above your natural immunity. Or if you're one of these people who 10% of people who have gotten the um, Pfizer Moderna that aren't showing up for their second shots. So really you basically have exposed yourself to the risk of the virus to probably no actual health benefits. Um, is there some accuracy to that, that when they're reporting the number of it, like, you know, the way it's helping you, they're also pricing in your natural immunity to that? Yeah, I, I couldn't really confirm that. I'm not on that end of, of the analysis. That's more of what stati statisticians say. I'm on the, the molecular biology side of things. But that okay. seems plausible. Uh, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't discount it. That doesn't seem like, uh, that doesn't seem crazy to me that that's how they would calculate it. All right. And then um, if you could just explain to us, so you're looking at these mRNAs and you're saying that I, I guess even at the current risk factors, they could be designed differently so that they would actually work for longer periods of time. And it appears to you like they're being designed in a way where you got to get them every six months, which obviously it becomes a renewable product. It's like selling people cigarettes. They got to buy a new one each week. You're going to make more money. Uh, yes. So what are you seeing in these products that makes you think that like, you know, they're purposely being built, you know, to be kind of profit driven? Well, it's just, like I said, there's the normal vaccine structure. Well, okay. The mRNA vaccine structure is more, it's easier for the virus to mutate around to defeat, right? Like by an order of magnitude, easier for the virus to defeat it. It does it versus the, the normal vaccine. Does that potentially does that way? Like, I don't, I can't see any reason why you would go this route, why you would produce a, the vaccine in this way when the, we have all the tools, all the special, special specialists, um, all of the protocols in place to develop, to, or to just rapidly push out a normal vaccine, which wouldn't have the pro, which would be much, much harder for the virus to mutate around. That, that's what we're talking about when we talk about the sort of planned obsolescence. Does that potentially make the virus stronger because you're giving it like enough to work with? Like, in other words, if you were to like, you know, it almost sounds like we're letting the virus work out where we're giving it like little puzzles for it to solve and become stronger as opposed to, you know, throwing, throwing a solution at it that it can't beat and then it dies off. Um... I mean, that's a possible, that's a possibility, right? It, there's there's a, a lot of evolutionary pressures at work when you talk about virus mutations and variant growth and spread, right? Um, so, yeah, the possibility that, that it will end up being, turning into something much nastier is there, but I don't know, I don't know that that's the case. Usually what happens with viruses in species is that um, they actually become more like we essentially you over time viruses tend to become domesticated right as viruses that are stable the stably exist in one population in one species usually can only do it because they just sort of let the people that have them walk around and spread it without knowing it um, or with like minimal symptoms and stuff a virus that that knocks you out and puts you on your ass in bed for a week and then goes away doesn't get spread as effectively as one that just sort of so they lives almost happily and all, whenever you're talking about like evolutionary pressures you're talking about ma maximizing spread right so a docile nice kind version of a virus is going to spread much more effectively 
in the long run than one that yeah, puts you on your ass. It's only when you get a virus that jumps from one species to another that you tend to get these, they, they tend to be really nasty because they haven't really been domesticated by the host species at that point. So stated so, differently, the virus kind of needs to learn how to live with us. With yeah. it, like it would be a good roommate where we don't want to throw it out. Um, yeah. Now, I, just knowing nothing about viruses, and then we'll, we'll move on from uh, the mRNA to you. Like, what the fuck? Just I, I know that they don't have a total understanding of it, but like, what the fuck is a virus? Like, what is it? So it's like a living thing that wants to duplicate itself the same as anything else. But like, it needs a host. I don't know. It just seems to be like a, a weird little thing that even exists in our reality. All right. So a virus is essentially the a shell you call it an envelope, but it's a shell. It's proteins and fats and stuff. It's a bubble uh, that has instructions inside it for making more of that bubble, but doesn't have, um, and this is a really like low level description, but, but doesn't have within itself the machinery to copy those instructions. So what a virus does is it, it puts its in, the instructions for its own assembly inside your cells, and then they, those instructions hijack the machinery that exists inside your cells and force it to make more copies of the virus. So that's why it's not exactly alive. I mean, it's not alive in the traditional sense. It needs a host. It can't really do anything otherwise. It's, it, they're more or less useless. Uh, but that's, that's essentially the structure. From of an life. evolutionary perspective, though, what's the utility of it? Or like, how did it, like, I understand how, you know, apes are interested in their own self-survival and maybe they changed into the apes they are. But like, what's the starting point of like a virus even existing? I know that that's like a weird, maybe God question, but you know what I mean? It seems like most things kind of like, you know what I mean? Like even on like molecular levels, you got your protons that, you know, they collide. Everything seems to kind of have a equal force working against it. So it's like, what's the utility of a virus if it's not its own like consciousness or something? Ah, the utility. Yeah, that is a bit philosophical. Um, <clears throat> it's not, that's not really how evolution works on a, or that's not the, the dimension along which evolution works on a molecular level. Um, you asked sort of how could it have started, like the, you know, first virus kind of thing? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that's, an, that's a fine question as well. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I mean... Once you have a, once you have machines, molecular machines for creating instructions, instructions in this case are DNA or RNA or whatever. It, it's like a computer glitch, wrong, right? It's a computer glitch. Uh, it's kind of like in a your computer, blood, or it's it's probably closer with that analogy. It's probably closer to just like some old script that uh, that won't die. You know, some old script you wrote. You were learning to program. You wrote something to, I don't know, wiggle your mouse to keep the screen alive or something like that. Uh, and you gave it the ability or, or, and you've sort of propagated it through all of your computer exchanges throughout the years. And now all of your computers have it. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's an okay analogy. But, but it, I guess the weird part to it is just that it's like... I don't know. There's some fundamental aspect of everything on our planet that it wants to survive. And like, that's even true of the virus that it's looking to like procreate, duplicate itself. Like it just, it just wants to survive. 
I mean, okay, so I would rephrase that slightly, not to not to get all debatey or whatever, but yeah. I mean, I'm an idiot. I'm just talking out of my ass. Like, I don't fucking know. Totally fine. Um, The uh, everything on the planet wants to make copies of itself, essentially. If it and if it doesn't, you you know, a thousand years from now, we won't know it existed. So, and a, a really good way to make a copy of yourself is to continue existing yourself, right? But that's not necessarily like that's not entirely necessary for making copies of yourself. Like proliferation is, is what we're all sort of, what everything is optimized for, not necessarily like continued existence. It's just continued existence is a good strategy for proliferation. (laughs) Okay. So to go, to, to step away from my trippy stoned out, you know, nonsense talk about what the fuck a virus even is. Um, So you were saying that in order to make the MRNAs like pretty foolproof, if they really were interested in killing off the virus, what would make sense? And I will play devil's advocate here and say, I would be the first person calling bullshit and saying, don't go do this. But you were saying that if they give you the single spike that can have you kill the current version of COVID, if a week later, once you have like your, you know, super immunity, you actually exposed yourself to full fledged Corona, your body would defeat it and then have the entire profile by which you would have full immunity. Yeah. I mean, look, for anyone listening, I'm not a medical doctor. Don't, you know, consult your doctor, all that shit. Don't sue me um, and everything. But uh, yeah, so if you have immunity to just the one spike protein from the virus, um, that'll provide some protection. That'll provide protection from the current version. But as soon as a variant arises that doesn't have that spike, you're fucked. However, if you have immunity, if you gain immunity to the full current variant, the co- full current version of the virus, the chances that that won't have overlapping cause cross immunity, it's called with other variants are is just insanely low. So you're going to have immunity to a bit more immunity to variants that arise than you would from just the spike. So after you get, if you get your spike protein immunity, you need to find a way, or it's a good idea to find a way to expose yourself to the full virus to get the full immunity, right? And the only way really to do that is, you know, go lick some street signs and finger somebody in the coronavirus ward. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I think but what I wrote, <laughs> I think what you I wrote said to- like buttholes. That's what you told me. Yeah. You told me there's yeah. no viral load quite like a butthole. Yeah, what I specifically told, yeah, the best way, the, probably the most efficient way to get the vi- to get exposed to the virus um, is to go find somebody who has it and that uh, intubated people can't say no. <laughs> there you go. Um, and then last question, uh, and I'll let you go. Uh, so what went wrong with Johnson & Johnson? On paper, Johnson & Johnson looked like it was the closest to a traditional vaccine. A couple months ago, I was saying if I were to get one of these, I'd probably go the Johnson & Johnson route because it seems to be uh, at least on paper, from what I had seen, it was closer to a traditional vaccine. It was not this yep. new mRNA technology. And so if you were reluctant to be involved in the global test study of mRNAs, uh, Johnson & Johnson might make more sense. Now, it's looking like Johnson & Johnson, probably a little bit riskier just off the fact that it got pulled off the market for a couple of days. Maybe that was an overreaction, but I'll hand it back to you to explain to us uh, what went wrong there and if maybe that one's a little bit better. I wish I had an explanation for you. The, the truth is, 
I don't personally, I don't trust the numbers on any of this shit. I don't really see a good reason to believe that Johnson and Johnson has is less likely to have side effects than than the other ones or or whatever. Like the numbers that are getting put out on these things are all all skewed uh, as far as I can tell. And that the skew in the data on these things goes all the way back to like last uh, to like March 2020. We the the information we were getting like had perverse incentives all over the place. Um, and it's just, there's perverse incentives in the information gathering surrounding this thing. So I don't have a good explanation. It sounds like it's just as likely to be political or I don't know, some lawfare bullshit well, by other companies as it is that it actually will fuck your shit up. I have no idea. <laughs> well, to speak to, uh, the truth to that. And I, I just, you know, I'm not in, I'm not in the field, but I do read the newspaper every day and you get these floating stories. AstraZeneca got busted for literally fabricating the evidence that got them um, their authorization. Now they're not authorized and they're not actually being distributed in the U S however, the E the EU is still swearing by it and they certainly got in trouble. Now scope and scale, you can do your own research on how much they falsified, but like they got approval and they falsified their information. Um, And on the same note, when it came to the hydroxychlorine, the study that said that it was dangerous turned out to be certified false that the guy, the doctor who had like signed off on it said, you got to take my name off of that because when he finally got to see all the information um, from the studies, he realized that it was totally fabricated. Um, so just to, like as a person who's just reading the newspaper and casually trying to follow this to the best of his ability, and you got to realize that the most flagrant things are the only things that make it to, like the fifth or sixth page of a newspaper for me to even be aware of it. There's yeah. enough to suggest that, yes, there is some baloney information, even at the levels of the WHO, the FDA, or whoever's signing off on these. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah there's, there's bullshit all over the place. Um, I actually was relatively confident in the information that was coming out until – I have this story. It won't take long. Um, one of the professors at my institute is on the, like, Council for COVID Response or whatever here um, – uh, and at the beginning of the pandemic, when we all got sent home to work, uh, we had this big ass Zoom meeting with everyone co- coming together. And, and they gave the, this professor gave a presentation on the research they were doing on the epidemiology of the of the virus. Um, and one of the things that that they talked about at the beginning of the presentation was that. Um, was how they were deriving their their statistics for like likelihood of spread and shit, right? And the way that they were the way that they were that they were gathering that information is they were just sort of testing everyone who showed up at the hospital for the virus to see how prevalent it was in the population. And they assume and they this professor specifically said out loud in the in the discussion that they assumed that was a random sample of the population. That might not seem immediately fucking stupid, but you... That's a random sample of people that had to show up to the hospital for being sick. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That would be like saying that, you know, we're just going to test everyone that gets intubated uh, for COVID and we'll assume that that's the proportion of the population that has it. And how. Da- and then, you know, everyone who dies from that will, will inform uh, our, our figures on, how, on the mortality. And this is like a tenured professor saying this shit. In the middle of with 300 people, all of whom were qualified to call her out on this bullshit, um, saying that that's how they were, yeah, that they were, she was deriving this information. And not a single fucking person did. Like, we were all given the opportunity to say, like, wait a second, that's not a random sample. 
that you know your statistics are flawed to the point that if you were a master's student, we would we just we would like expel you for that sort of negligence. Um, and since then, like I just don't trust any of the numbers on these things. Like all the people who analyze the data, they're as far as I can tell, full of shit um, right from the beginning. And then you hear, and then the people who gather information, who run the tests, like. As far as I can tell, there's plenty of perverse incentives there for people to inflate numbers here or deflate numbers there. Like the whole structure of information gathering surrounding this is fucked, uh, and has been for a very, very long time. So yeah, I. And so, I'm all right. Not having any clue of what's going on because I don't really have any clue either. Uh, you know, assuming so those, all the numbers are bullshit. So let's put on our conspiracy theory hat. So we've got. Uh, the machines at work falsifying numbers, making it seem like you got a virus that's more deadly than it is, yeah. and like you've got vaccines that are better at treating it than they are. Yeah. Do you think that this is um, Fauci working with Big Pharma trying to get you know the exact kind of vaccines that he's able or the industry is able to profit from, and at some point you know he retires from government, gets a big paycheck, and that's it. It was just evil people trying to make some huge money off of. Uh, um, pushing along mRNA vaccines? Do you think maybe it's even more nefarious where some socialists really want one world government and some big time control? So, you know, they saw an opportunity here with this virus to really play up just how deadly it was to try and seem like, hey, if, if you don't give government more control of your lives, look at this risk of death. Or do you think that this thing just, you know, n nothing that crazy happened. It just kind of spiraled out of control. Pfizer sees its opportunity for profit. Like, you know, people just saw their opportunity. Maybe at the beginning, people saw their opportunity to get rid of Trump, even though I don't know why every other government would get in on that and also shut down their country. So yeah. I'll hand it back to you. If you're just going to be a pure conspiracy theorist, why do you think the system's at work here to play this thing up and play up, play up that the vaccines will help? I mean, there's a shitload of people making a shitload more money now than they were a year and a half ago. Um, yeah, it's actually the most powerful industries. All of big tech is profits are up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they want people shopping at home and not doing anything but being online. So it's almost like you're right. It's like most of your people who are in power were able to grab more power. Yeah. So you have that. You have the money. And then, I mean, you you mentioned or you, you talked about how other countries wouldn't really have an incentive to um, to lock down or to go along with all this crap. But. I mean, I don't know if you remember the the yellow yellow vest people in uh, in yeah. France. I mean, that was immediately before COVID. Uh, I remember seeing some footage of some train stations and, or banks and stuff in Chile being burnt down like in November before COVID. Um, things weren't going particularly well uh, in a lot of places before COVID, and now, I mean, yeah, sure, there's riots and stuff, but I think the um, I don't think it's necessarily true that other countries wouldn't have a reason to to lock down before COVID. So there's that. There's the political influence that's for sure there. Um, there's the money. Whether there's like a one world government or something like that's a fun idea to play with. I play with that idea a lot. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I don't really see a reason why all of the things you just described couldn't be happening simultaneously. None of them are mutually exclusive. Fair enough. All right. Uh, I think we covered. Oh, wait. No, uh, oh. no. I think we covered it all. I think we oh. got into everything. Actually turned out to be a much longer uh, segment than I was expecting. Before I let you go, anything else you wanted to uh, cover or throw out there for the Run Your Mouth fans? No, that's about it. Sorry it took so long. They, they 
not when a problem they, for me. Turn us into scientists. They make us talk like motherfuckers. So, uh, <laughs> I yeah. uh, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, you know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sum this thing up in my philosophy for the show for everyone listening. Um, Dr. Bauer, you can take it or leave it whether or not he is a uh, real expert. My take on this is that I, fortunately for me, I now work in a career where I get to say offensive things and I try and profit off of that. And I probably can't go work a traditional office job. I don't want anyone coming in here and putting their financial ability to make, like, you got to make a living in life and make as much money as you can. I don't want anyone coming in here and speaking their mind and having to lose their career. Like, that's just not, like, that's not fun to me. That, that, that doesn't make the show fun. You know what I mean? That's not what I'm looking for. And I also like the idea of someone being able to call in and pretending like they're an expert for a full 45 minutes and just <laughs> lying to me. I think that that is funny and I have no problem with it. And I think if anything, the, uh, my, what I'm trying to do is I'm asking questions and I'm a fan of critical reasoning. So this is up to you and your interpretation. You can listen to this whole interview. You can call bullshit on Dr. Bauer. You can think I have a friend that just called in and just spun that and it's completely not true. Or you can take it for granted, or you can take our word for it that he's in fact an expert and this is his analysis. But um, I uh, I will say that I firmly stand behind people coming onto the onto the show in in an anonymous <laughs> fashion, um, and I'm going to keep that as the format uh, forever moving forward. And I do hope that someone takes me up on the bullshit challenge and calls in for an as an expert because to me that's just funny and I take no issue with it. <laughs> well, if anyone has any objections to what I said, just keep in mind, I kept this relatively low level. I didn't go into much detail. So go fuck yourself if you think anything. <laughs> um, I, I, this is all basic immunology 101. Uh, like, yeah, <laughs> not, not right. you personally go fuck yourself. You're awesome. Love the podcast. Uh, I just mean anyone that's complaining about what I say. <laughs> Thank you, sir. And uh, just before we call in an episode, here's one more piece of information that the doctor recorded himself and emailed my way. He felt that this needed a clarification. So here's just one more little snippet of COVID misinformation for you. So the reason that I think that the mRNA vaccine uh, was intentionally engineered to produce a shorter lasting immunity to the virus um, is that a normal vaccine contains about 10 to 20 proteins that, or well, 10 to 20 proteins that your body will learn to recognize as being viral. Uh, and what that means is that in order for the vi that virus to um, defeat the immune response, it has to acquire proteins in, or mutations in all of those proteins, so 10 to 20 mutations, let's say. With the mRNA vaccine, you're only being exposed to a single viral protein, which means that the virus that's circulating in the population only has to develop a mutation in that one protein in order for your body to no longer respond to it. Mutations occur in viruses in the population at a more or less stable rate, meaning that the time required to for a virus to defeat the immunity given to you from a normal vaccine is about one, one tenth, one twentieth of the time required um, or sorry, it's about 10 to 20 times longer than the time required to defeat the mRNA vaccine. The mRNA, what that means is that with this mRNA vaccine, they're gonna sell 10 to, 10, 10 to 20 times as many vaccines as they would with a normal vaccine. Um, this is pretty basic immunology. This is pretty basic molecular immunology. Anyone who's gotten a bachelor's in, in molecular biology could tell you this shit. And there's no reason that anyone 
uh, that any like competent biologist would be able to ignore this. Uh, like these, these numbers are approximations, but they're pretty accurate. And so I don't see any reason to believe that this decision was made uh, for any reason other than they're going to send sell 10 to 20 times as many vaccines and make 10 to 20 times as much money. It's a much more profitable business model.